Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are a tenth of as excited as I am to open up the book of Romans this morning, then we are going to have a good time today. As you can see, our setup is a little bit different this morning. We have some hangover from uh, last week with worship in the round, uh, but it's been, it's been good for us. Theologically, doctrinally, we say that, hey, we're a family here at Rest Church, and so it's good for us to get uh, close together every once in a while. Amen? Some of us more than others, maybe. Uh, but this is, a, this is a really cool thing, and, and I have terrible eyesight in general, and so this is going to help me know if you're actually engaged this morning or not. And I was talking to my mom, actually, and she gave me the advice. She said, Adam, you need to go and watch some uh, George, I think it was George Jones concerts. Maybe it was George Strait, or maybe it was Curious George. It was one of the Georges, and uh, she said, watch their concert, because what they, what they do is they, they, they sit in the center of the arena, and everybody's around, and so you can get a flow from them on that. So if I break out into a country song midway into this sermon, you'll know why, right? Yeehaw. yeehaw. Okay, that's the first, Cody, that's the first yeehaw I've got <laughs> preaching. I like it, though. I like it. Um, and I actually didn't know how long I was going to preach today, so that's why I have my overnight bag uh, with me this morning. That's why I brought my suitcase along um, today. And, uh, you know, whenever you're going on a trip somewhere, it's the worst thing in the world to me whenever you're prepared and you're planned and you have everything set up to go where you're trying to arrive to, but then all of a sudden you realize that you forgot to pack something. Like, isn't that the worst in the world? Like, like you can even, and Cody's probably familiar with this, you can download, you got your plane ticket, right, on, on your phone that's downloaded, but if you forget to add it to your digital wallet and you go to the line and you don't have internet service, right? Or, or like you get to your spot and, and all of a sudden you forgot to, to pack your toothpaste or your toothbrush, but, but no one forgets their cell phone chargers because of priorities, right? And, and so what's the, what's the solution to this church? What's the solution to this? It's two words. Plan ahead. Plan ahead. You have to know where you're going, and you have to know what it's going to take in order for you to get there. So you plan 
ahead. And that's why I have this, uh, this suitcase today, actually. And I'm going to set it down here for just a second and open this guy up. Because this, this thing is packed with some, uh, with some travel tips for us. It's full of uh, amazing, mind-blowing visual aids for us this morning. And this is going to help us as we go through our, uh, our, our tour, because that's what this really is, our tour of, of Romans. And what this, uh, what this series really is for us is it's kind of like, like a train station. It's kind of like a bus station. Um, but really, I think it's like an airport. I found this last night. Check this out. I don't know if it'll pick up on the mic or not. Prepare for takeoff. Yeah, see. <laughs> um, we're on a budget here at rest, so forgive me. But it's like a, it's like a train station because we know... We know where we're, where we're going. We know we're starting out in Romans. And we know where we're finishing. But along the way, there may be some spots in the text that we, that we slow down in. Like we might have a layover in one area of the text. We might stay a little bit longer than we anticipated. And, and St. John here, I'll give, you, I'll give you this airplane this morning. This is your gift for studying Romans. Um, because I think I promised that to Alyssa and her kids already, but you can hold on to it for us. And so, so this is like, a, uh, like an airport, a terminal for us. And, 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 and the reason uh, I say that is because we know where we're starting, we know where we're finishing at, uh, but this is the director's cut of Romans, okay? This is in the extended version of the book of Romans because it's going to take us almost 45 sermons just to get to chapter 6 yeah, in January of next year. And that's not a joke. That's how long it's going to take us just to get to chapter 6 in Romans as we go verse by verse together through this study. And what this is, um, we, we tend to go through books of the Bible here at rest, and we tend to go verse by verse. We t- tend to preach that way. And, and the reason is because we want you to hear the full counsel of the Word of God and not just snapshots, not just tidbits of it. And, and this is the Christian practice called Lectio Continua. And you can see this on the screens, which is the continuous approach to systematic preaching, systematic expository preaching, uh, Lectio Continua. And so whenever we go verse by verse, there's intention behind this because the, the, the American church, so to say, it, it, when it comes to pulpit preaching, um, it is typically very man-centric. It's typically fad-driven. Um, and, and, and honestly, whenever you, you look into most American churches today, it's kind of like a, it feels like a TED Talk with some Jesus sprinkles on it, right? Versus like biblical expository preaching. But when we go verse by verse through the Bible, what it forces you to do, what it forces me to do, what it forces all of us to do, is it forces us to deal with some stuff that we just don't want to deal with. It's going to force us to deal with things that we don't want to deal with. And plus, it's going to grow, it's going to grow you, church, as we go through Romans. It's going to grow you theologically closer to Jesus. And it's going to grow you practically closer to Jesus as we study this book together. And so we have to campfire this thing. We have to kind of sit down around the book of Romans because the structure of Romans, it's a ladder, but in the middle of this ladder is a theological substance to it. And so it's kind of like a, a peanut butter and theology sandwich, right? This book, Romans, it, it's, um, it's heavier than a herd of elephants. That's what I'd written down. It is, it is like Everest. 
It is a, it is a beast, the book of Romans. Amen. Has anybody read Romans before? It is a beast. And now it's a beauty, but it's also a beast. And what Romans really is, it's a letter, right? It's a letter about the story of God's family. It's a letter about God's family, a family that he's created. It's a family that's got some estranged members in it. It's a family that he intends to reunite. And, and I love the picture of the story of Romans because really it's this cosmic story of God reconciling humanity back to himself, Nathan. And then it's brought down to the mundane business of who you go to church with on Sunday. It's this amazing. Romans is God's good news for the entire world. That's what Romans is. And it's been called Paul's manifesto. It's been called Paul's greatest work. It's been called Paul's spiritual trumpet by some scholars. And, and if that's true, one scholar even prayed and, and said, if this book is Paul's spiritual trumpet, then, then our prayer should be that as we hear this call time and time and time again, that we continually respond again and again and again as it's played in our life. Amen. And so, you know, in, in every sport that I'm familiar with, there's usually, there's usually an all-star team. This is my trophy from JV Boys Magic, league champs, way back in the day. Cody, that's from way back. But in every sports team, there's usually an all-star team. And the all-star team's made up of the best players from the best teams. And, and so, like, I think of, I think of the, the 92 Dream Team. You might know about the 92 Dream Team. You got, you got Magic. You got Mike, Ted. You got, you got Bird. It's the best of the best of the best, sir, right? And it's the, the best of them brought together on this Dream Team. And, and in the church... Um, we, we sort of have our own all-star team. We have our own dream team through church history. And, and what I'm talking about is those pillars of faith, the, the theologians, the professors, the teachers, the lawyers that have impacted church culture and history all throughout. I'm not going to give this one away this morning. I'm going to keep that. Uh, but, but I want to show you some of the things that they've had to say about the book of Romans uh, because I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to hear what some of these church fathers, what, what some of these church daddies have had to say over, over what Romans is. So check this out, just a few quotes for you. The first one, John Chris, Chrysostom, um, he served as the Archbishop of Constantinople, and he said this, if you put the whole world on one side of the scale, and you, you'll see that the soul of Paul outweighs them all. John Chrysostom was saying that basically, Paul may be the most influential man who's ever lived outside of Christ. Uh, Augustine, he's a, he was a theologian and a philosopher. He said this, I wish to have Christ in the flesh, but Paul in the pulpit. He goes on to say, it's safe to say that Romans is probably the most powerful human document ever written. Uh, Martin Luther, he was a lawyer he was uh, struck by lightning twice and, and lived. He, he was a German monk who uh, later became a, a monk and a, and a Catholic priest. And um, we may talk about his story, Cody, when we get to uh, chapter 1 of Romans, verse 16 and 17. But, and we'll save that for then. But he, one of my favorite quotes in, in, in Luther's biography was that he was trying to get to heaven by his works of righteousness. And he was really struggling with this righteousness thing. And he said, if there was ever a monk to get to heaven by his monkery. And I thought, man, that's good. That's good stuff. But Luther, here's what he had to say. 
uh, about Paul. He said, Paul's the wisest man after Christ. He said, uh, he called Romans the chief part of the New Testament, truly the purest gospel. He says, Romans is well worth a Christian's while, not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy yourself with it daily. It's impossible to read or meditate on this letter too much or too well. Just a couple more. William Tyndale, he was a a British reformer, the father of the English Bible translation. He said this, uh, Romans is the uh, principal and most excellent part of the New Testament, a lie in a way unto the whole of Scripture. Romans, the more it is studied, the easier it is, the more it is chewed, the pleasanter that it is. And then lastly, wrapping this up, John Calvin, uh, he was a minister in Geneva, Switzerland. He said this about the book of Romans. He says, Romans, if we've gained a true understanding of this epistle, this letter, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of scriptures. Now, these guys that I just listed off to you, these church fathers in history, they have, they've got more clout and more intellect and more wisdom, more degrees than your thermometer has. And so I could, I could go on and I could tell you, I could tell you about the impact, I go on and on with this, about the impact that the book of Romans has had from John Chrysostom to uh, John Wesley to John Piper to John Wisdom, right? On and on and on. It, it's illuminated and impacted people all over the globe in the church for thousands and thousands of years. But the point is this, that Romans consistently has been a book that has changed the world by changing people. It's been a book that's changed the world by changing people. And out of the whole collection of the scriptures, right? So it's 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Out of the whole collection of the scriptures, some of my most favorite chapters uh, comes from the book of Romans, like Romans 1, Romans 3, Romans 5, Romans 8, Romans 12. Some of my favorite verses come from the book of Romans, uh, the, the whole Romans road. Um, consistently, over the years, I have, I have asked my D-group guys to, to study and to memorize Romans chapter 8, word for word, to, to study it, to show themselves approved. Like Romans has impacted the church globally and also it has impacted the church locally. And so as we get into this, I want to encourage you to ask a lot of questions. I want to encourage you to take a lot of notes when it comes to the book of Romans. Because it's it's Everest for us. And, And the more that you digest it, the more that you wrestle with it individually, the more that's going to come out of it, the more gospel good is going to come from it. And and so I want to I want to also encourage you in this way too. Look, um, sometimes I forget my Bible, right? The pastor forgets his Bible at church. That's not good. Uh, But I default to my phone Bible a lot. But I want to encourage you for this series. I want you to bring your physical Bible to church. Bring your physical Bible with you. Bring the, this word with you to church. Because, because if, you, if, you don't, if you don't bring your, your Bible with you to church during this series with Romans, what it's kind of like, it's kind of like trying to go for a swim without water, okay? It doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So if you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and open that up. There's probably some in front of you, or you can break out your digital Bible. We're going to open up to the book of Romans, finally. Romans chapter one, and we are going to read just one verse, and we are going to set down just on one word from Romans. Do you love Jesus Rest Church? Are you ready to study his word this morning? Amen. 
This is what it says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so today we're just going to look at this one word at the very start of the sentence. Right here, right here. Here we go. Paul. Paul, that's all we're going to look at today, the Apostle Paul. And, and I'm not going to get into the Saul-Paul conversion stuff or a story from Acts. I'm not going to get into any of that. But we're going, to, we're going to look at Paul, and we're going to zoom in really on three things. And it's these three things. Number one, we're going to look at a 50,000-foot view of Romans. I'm going to give you a big, big overview of the whole book. Um, that it's a letter, and that Tertius, the scribe, helps him write it. And then we're going to look at the background and the setting And specifically, Paul has an intention of going to three places, Jerusalem, Rome, and Spain. So we're going to look at those, some of the church problems that he's dealing with there. And then lastly, we're going to finish up, we're going to wrap this thing up this morning by looking at the gospel in Romans. And we're not going to exposit it, but we'll look at the key theme verse in the book of Romans, which is Romans 1, 16 and 17. So... I'll pray for us, and, and, and my hope for us this morning as we, as we wrestle through this together through the end of our conversation is that we would come to this realization and understand that, look, Romans is all about the gospel, and the gospel always changes things. Romans is all about the gospel, and the gospel always changes things. So if you would, let's pray together, and I've been, I've been asking the Holy Spirit to come and do his thing this morning and just ask you to join me in that. Jesus, we love you, and we, we need your help today. I need your help today, Holy Spirit. Lord, the truth is, is if you, know, if, you, if you didn't do anything else with Rest Church, if you didn't do anything else with us, God, you've done enough. And so we give you glory, and thank you for that. And, and Lord, I know that you know, trends and fads come and go, but your word, it stands forever. And so that's what we want to stand on this morning. Holy Spirit, would you teach us? from your word through the book of Romans so that we might have an understanding of, of who you are and so we can know ourselves better and how to live in light of, of the gospel. Jesus, thank you for the gospel that you've died, that you've uh, risen again in victory, that you've set that pattern for us. We love you and all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. So um, next week, Pastor Cody, he's gonna preach more than one word, maybe two, right? Next week, so but, but look forward to that. Come back. We want to invite you back uh, next week as we get into Romans a little deeper. But today again is really about just laying the groundwork for us. It's really about just uh, setting up for where we are are going. And and the truth is that the way my brain works is before we even sat down to break apart the book of Romans by sermons, is that I had to have a, a full overview of the whole book. We as pastors, we'd have a full overview of the whole book. And so what we did um, is, is as we tried to, you know, we tried to sit down in one setting and do this. But what I quickly came to realize was that I don't have the bandwidth to, to digest the whole book of Romans all in one sitting. And neither do you. You don't have the bandwidth to do it all at once. And so what we did is we, <coughs> we put this together for you, or maybe it was more for me, um, what we do- did is we sat down and we did, um, we've got six buckets. This was the best bucket I could find, church. Um, it's actually a microwavable cover, but today it's going to work as a bucket for us. And so what we've done is we've broken down Romans into six buckets, say bucket, for you to see an overview of. And so we're going to go through that 
First, Nathan, I'm going to give you this bucket to hold on to. We've got six buckets, and we'll start with bucket number one. It's this, Romans 1, 1 through 17. This is Paul's greeting, his blessings. Uh, It's titled, The Man, the Mission, the Message. In this section, Paul, he's wanting to take this pit stop in Rome, and he's preaching about this gospel that has this power to bring salvation to all people. And what's so crazy about this opening section is that the apostle Paul, he's preaching a gospel to Christians. He's preaching this gospel to believers. Then the second bucket is this, uh, Romans 1, 18 through 3, 20, the wrath of God. It's the saints and the ain'ts. Say saint. Say ain't. And so the big picture is that, hey, there's, there's, two, there's only two groups of people in the entire world. There's the saints and there's the ain'ts. And the only difference between a saint and the ain't is the grace of Jesus Christ. If you, if you haven't received Christ uh, by grace, through faith, in Christ, then you ain't a saint. That's the picture of it. And this, this, this bucket goes on to, to tell us about depravity. It's going to talk about three groups of people, the pagans, the moralists, and the religionists. It, it talks about the law. It's going to tell us that the gospel, it begins with wrath which is kind of crazy to think, but, but do you know that that's God's posture toward you until you do something with the love that he's offered through his son? And so Paul tells us here in this bucket that the gospel begins with wrath, and there's no silver lining in this either. The, the whole picture of this bucket is that, hey, you are guilty. You're guilty. Mother Teresa's guilty. Billy Graham, he's guilty. That newborn baby that's crying upstairs and our kids, they're guilty. There's no silver lining here. And, and, and he may, like, may be like, well, my mama, my mama said that I have a really good heart. Well, the gospel says that your mama's wrong, okay? <laughs> that we're all guilty, that none of us can stand with our merit badges before God because our God is righteous and he is just. Then in bucket number three, Romans 3.21 through 8.39, it's the grace of God from despair to hope, from sin to salvation. Romans 3.21, church, this is the big, this changes everything verse. This begins the ceasefire from God, so to speak. And so this is the monster section that talks about, hey, your, your whole self doesn't work right. Ted, your, your will, your mind, your body, your actions, it just doesn't live in step with the spirit. That's what Paul's going to get at in this section. And he goes on to talk about these really big theological ideas and things. He's going to talk about uh, imputation. He's going to talk about uh, propitiation and sanctification. He's going to lay out the legal side and also the judicial side of justification for us. He's going to talk about once saved, always saved. He's going to talk about predestination. He's going to talk about election. He's going to talk about all of these things in this bucket. Really big, big section. Then bucket number four, uh, Romans 9 through 11, this is the plan of God, them and us. It's God's promises, it's God's faith, and, and, and it's whenever we understand God's grace, Paul's getting at here, whenever we understand God's grace, this grace has to govern your conduct with other believers. That's what Paul's talking about in 9 through 11. Then in bucket number five, uh, chapters 12 through 15, the will of God, the home stretch, the promises and the practices 
In this section here, this is where Paul, he gets down to the nitty gritty of everything he's just unrolled in the past 11 chapters. And he says that this is how you should live in light of everything that I've just talked about. And in chapter 12, he goes on to say that in in around one and two, that there has to be a transformation that comes with your belief. And then wrapping it up, last bucket, number six. Um, it, it ends this kind, of same, kind of the same way it starts with greetings and blessings. There's 29 names, soul winners and, and team builders. And so Paul, he wraps this whole thing up with this huge list of names. And he's closing out his, his letter and he reiterates his intentions for us. And so it's 16 chapters. It's 434 verses or 433 uh, in the ESV. And it's going to take us a really long time, like three years or so, to get through. It's going to take us three years or so just to get through this book. And so how can we digest it? We can't digest the whole thing today, right? How do we, how do we, how do we digest this? Well, I don't know where the Romans road is going to lead us through. I know where we're starting. I know where we're finishing. I don't know where it's going to necessarily lead us through. But here's two things that I can guarantee you that the book of Romans will do for you. Number one, the the book of Romans, it's going to confuse you. It's going to confuse you. Why do I say, why do I say the book of Romans is, this is a question mark, by the way. If you're asleep, I'm going to ninja star it at you. I'm real close to you. It's going to confuse you, church. Why do I say that? Because the apostle Peter in, uh, in 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16, says it's going to confuse you. Can you pull that verse up? 2 Peter 3, 15. Uh, this is Peter. He says, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you in the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. So get this. If the apostle Peter says there's some stuff in Romans that's hard to understand, it's going to be hard to understand, right? Think about this. The apostle Peter, he was walking with Jesus. He was filled with God, the Holy Spirit. He was writing scripture. And he looks at this Paul guy and he goes, hey, Paul over there, whenever Paul wrote, he writes, he's a really smart guy. And there's some stuff he writes and it's kind of confusing. And so if you're confused at any time during the book of Romans, just understand that, that you're in great company. Tristan, I'm going to give this to you. I'll just toss it over to you. Oh, Sorry. Did, did you sign here? One more back to you. <laughs> sign a waiver around here, church. That's the first thing it's going to do. The second thing the book of Romans is going to do. It's going to offend you. Romans is going to offend you. There wasn't a yeehaw in that one. <laughs> How do I, why do I say this? Well, Romans is an equal opportunity letter. And it is going to equally and opportunely offend all of us. Because Romans is all about the gospel. And the gospel by nature is offensive. In 1 Corinthians it says this. Chapter 1 verse 18. For the word, for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in this verse here, this is that attitude 
This is an attitude from the loss of going, well, I don't, I don't need to be saved. Does, does God's reputation really matter more than mine? I don't need help. That's that attitude. But what we do sometimes also, church, is, is for us as Christians, I think, we, I think we offload the offensiveness of the gospel just to the lost. When the reality is the gospel should be offensive to us all. In fact, I would go as far to say that if it's not offensive to you, then you've probably stopped applying it and reading it. Because what the gospel in Romans is going to do is it's going to tell you some stuff that you just don't want to hear. Paul's going to deal with some stuff. He's not going to pull any punches on it. He's not going to hold back in his offense because he loves these people in Rome too much. He loves the gospel too much. And so Paul, he's going he's to say some things that, that are, quite frankly, are offensive. It's going to tell us, the book of Romans is going to tell me and you, it's going to tell us that, hey, when it comes to gender identity, it's a boy and a girl and not a spectrum. The Gospel of Romans is going to tell us that sex, that it's for marriage, and that marriage is meant for one man and one wife for one life. Romans is going to tell us, it's going to tell you, hey, you do some really stupid stuff that you should stop doing. Romans is going to tell you, hey, it's not just about your perspective that matters. Romans is going to offend us. In fact, for us to see the beauty of Romans, it has to first do the work of its offense. Because we're, we're so, our hearts are so man-centered and they're not God-centered. And so we, we, have, to, we have to see this first for, in order for Romans to, 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 to do its work. And, and you might hear this and go, well, how can the gospel even be good, good news then? Well, when it comes, Cody, I'm going to give you this because I know you're not offended that easily. Here you go, brother, my man. How can the gospel even be good news if it's so offensive? Well, here, here's the deal, church. When it comes to God's approval for you, when it comes to God's affection to, for, towards you, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. It's all about him and what he's done because you can't, you can't outrun it. You can't outsin it. You can't outlive it. You can't outdo it. There is no amount of mess or chaos that you could, you could bring to the table and set before God that would even come close to standing against his grace. And that's some good news. That's some good news, church. And so when we get to these moments in Romans where we come to these verses that are really tough, we're going we're gonna to taste some stuff. <laughs> this, is a, this is the kind of spoon I use in my cereal. We're going to taste some stuff that at first isn't going to taste really good. And my prayer for you, my hope for you, is that you would go before God and instead of saying, God, I am complaining, God, I really don't like the way this tastes. Instead of doing that, my hope for you in the book of Romans is that instead you would go, God, would you please change my, change my taste buds and change me. Amen. Julie, I'm going to give you this spoon. So with all of this being said, Romans is all about the gospel and the gospel changes things. And now that you and I are, now that we're ready to be confused and uh, are ready to be offended, 
Let's now look into, zoom in on our verse in, in chapter 1 of Romans, if, you, if you'll look with me, to find background and context. This is, this is what it says at the very beginning. Paul, say Paul. Paul. That's it. That's all we're talking about today, just Paul. <laughs> and I, w- I want to share with you the message version, though, because I like the simplicity of it. It says this, uh, Paul. A devoted slave on assignment, authorized as an apostle to proclaim the words and acts of God. I write this letter to the believers in Rome, God's friend. And, and again, I'm not getting into the conversion story of Paul. I'm not getting into doulos. I'm not getting into Paul's apostleship and why that matters. That's all going to come next week with Pastor Cody. But today we're just sitting down around this word, Paul. And so we're going to look at the context first, the context that all of this is, is sitting in because context matters, right? Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, did you, see, have you ever see posts like that? You don't know who the quote goes to, so you give it to Abraham Lincoln. Okay. So context, context matters. And when it comes to understanding context really quickly, there's four general principles Uh, that I wanted to show you. This will be super quick. So number one is literal meaning. This is just looking at what the text says and and what the text doesn't say. Then number two, this is historical setting. And so historical setting is about, it's about the events of the story. Uh, It's about what's happening in that timeline, how they would have interpreted it in that timeline. Number three is grammar. So that's easy. That's, That's the word order. That's the sentence structure. That's the paragraph that this word or sentence is sitting within. And then synthesis, the last one, this is, synthesis is when you, you gather up your verse and you compare it to the rest of the scripture, and then you get a fuller meaning from it as you compare it to other scripture. Paul's going to do this all over the book of Romans. And so I share that with you because every time you read your Bible, every single time, each word, each sentence in the paragraph that it sits in, it has one meaning. This is called the theological principle. There is one meaning intended by our author, Paul. And our job, our goal is to go in and to find that meaning from Paul so that we can then take that meaning. There's a million applications to the meaning for us today, but there's one meaning. And if we don't find his intended meaning, we can never arrive at the place of the application for us today, the hermeneutic, right? And so we have, context matters. We have, to, we have to find our context. And so let's deal with the first one first. Um, there's, there's four things I'm hitting here really quickly this morning. Uh, here's what we're going to look at from a historical setting. We don't have time to go through all four of the context things, so here's what we're hitting. Who Paul's writing from and to, Paul's intentions, Paul's dealing with some church problems, and Paul's purpose in writing. So number one first, where's Paul writing to and from? Where is Paul writing to and from? Whenever you get a text message on your phone, Whenever you get a text message on your phone or somebody calls you and it's a number that you don't recognize, if you don't hit the deny button like I do, what's the first thing you do when you pick up the phone? What do you say? Who this, right? Who is this? You want to know who it is because whenever you know who it is, it helps set the context of what that person is saying. And so church, who is writing? Who's on the phone here with us? Paul, right, 
Paul, he's the one that's speaking. And so we know some stuff about Paul. We know about his missionary activity uh, from the, the book of Acts. Of the 27 books of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he writes 13 of those guys. If you include Hebrews into it, it's 14. He's written scripture. And so we see right out the gate, this is a letter from Paul. And so it's a letter... And that means that it's, it's, it's not a narrative. It's not like Mark's gospel, so we can't treat it like Mark's gospel. It's a letter, and that means that every word in the letter of the apostle Paul, there's not a whole lot of things that don't mean a whole lot of things in it. And that's why we have to digest it really slowly and really carefully, because he's written this letter to the churches that are in Rome. And he starts in this letter by giving us his name, he says, I, Paul, it's a possessive, I, me, my kind of thing. And, and he's really just being very typical in his approach and his writing style with what they were doing in the ancient day. See, like when me and you, whenever we would sit down to write a letter or when we sit down to type up an email, we usually go, dear Alyssa, dear Carl, or dear Abby, right? We, 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 we write down at the start like that, but instead, in the ancient world, what they would do most of the time is they would start off with who they were. And so Paul's staying congruent with this. He's staying uh, uh, in the same spot as, as the writing. So he starts off with the letter, hey, this is Paul. I'm the one that's writing these words for you to you, the church at Rome. And so just from this one word, we know a lot about this guy. And we know that the book of Romans, it's the logical follow-up to the book of Acts. And I want you to think about this. Pull this picture up for me of the gospel Acts in Romans. This is a really cool way to look at it. I think it's on the side screens too. If you, if you look at the gospel story as explaining the, how the gospel was obtained, and then we read Acts uh, as how the gospel was proclaimed, then what Romans is, is a logical follow-up to Acts. It's how the gospel is explained. And that's what Paul's doing in his letter. In 20 plus times in the opening verses, he's, he says this, and so Paul is, is anxious from the very start to summarize his theology and to introduce himself because Paul's writing to a people group that he doesn't really know. Paul didn't plant this church. He doesn't really know these people that are at this church in Rome. And so at the very front, he's saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I believe. Josh, I'm gonna give you this letter. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that too, Cody. Cody just singing blues clues over here. Just got a letter. And so we say, okay, this is great. This is great. But what are Paul's intentions with this letter? Well, he, he, he tells us actually. He says, there are three places he intends to go. Jerusalem, Rome, and Spain. Jerusalem, Rome, and Spain. These are the places he intends to visit. Paul was going to first make a pit stop in Jerusalem. Say Jerusalem. And the reason that Paul is stopping here in Jerusalem is because Paul had uh, invested an incredible amount of time and a lot of energy in gathering up money um, from the local Greek churches. And he was going to take them and make a donation um, to the poverty-stricken churches that were in Judea. 
And so now, now this is more than just a general act of generosity from Paul when he's doing this, okay, and going to Jerusalem. Because what it's, what it's representing for Paul is it's representing solidarity between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, where the Gentile Christians were sharing their possessions with the Jewish Christians as the Jewish Christians had first shared their spiritual blessings with the Gentiles. And so this is a big deal for Paul because a lot of the Jewish Christians are looking in at Paul very suspiciously. A lot of them are seeing him as a traitor to his his Jewish roots because Paul's preaching an evangelism to the Gentiles uh, apart from the circumcision party, apart from the law. So this is a big deal for Paul. He's gotta stop in Jerusalem. And then along the way, The Apostle Paul, he's going to stop in Rome. Say Rome. Rome, that's the title of the the subtitle of our series, right? When in Rome. So what's going on with the church in Rome when Paul's writing this letter? This is the second stop. And Paul has previously, in Romans 15, 23, I'm not going to read it, but you can write it down if you want. In Romans 15, 23, Paul has previously tried to get to the church in Rome, but he's been unable to yet, but he's confident that he will get to them at one point. And so, so what's going on there? Well, at this time period in the Western world, Rome was really the center of life. It's where all life really revolved. In fact, uh, Rome, they had this road that extended 50,000 miles all across um, Asia Minor. And so just from, just from their infrastructure, it was a very, very powerful economy and had a, a terrific trade route that ran through it. Um, and, and when you read about Rome, it was a city, it was a city that was overcrowded and it was a city that was extremely dirty. But it was also a city that had mixed groups of peoples. They had, um, they had those who were incredibly poor, the poorest of the poor. And these people, they would, they would live in these villa or in these apartments on the, the, the lower side of Rome, so to speak. And then you would see these people who were incredibly wealthy that lived in these magnanimous villas on the opposite side of Rome. It was mixed cultures. It was mixed peoples. It was mixed religions. All of this, all of this. And so why, why would Paul, why would Paul think about Rome? Here's what Rome was to Paul. It was an incredible opportunity. Because Rome was a metropolis, right? That's what I'm getting at. It was a metropolis. And so in, in Rome, this is the place where the schools were at. This is the place where the hospitals were. This is the place where everybody went to. This is the place where the games were held. It was where entertainment was. And so Paul knows, Paul knows if he can just get into Rome, that he can find uh, resources and funds and support for this mission as he heads to Spain. Rome was an opportunity for Paul. And then the third stop along Paul's way, Paul's ultimate destination was Spain. Paul's sights were set on Spain. Say Spain. In Spain, at this time, Paul knew that the gospel hadn't yet infiltrated Spain, at least to his knowledge. And so he knew if he could get to Spain, then that he could continue telling people about Jesus. He could continue, continually plant churches that were planting churches that were planting churches. And so what he was doing, church, is that he was viewing Rome as this base of his operations because Rome is between Jerusalem and Spain. And so he was setting up Rome a lot like he was setting up, he had already set up Antioch in the east. It was gonna be a base for his church planting network essentially. And so here's the threefold purpose, if you didn't catch it from Paul. He went for Jerusalem. He wants to go there to promote the welfare of Israel. In Rome, 
There's some problems we'll, we'll get into in just a second. He's trying to unify the Christians there. And in Spain, he wants to forward the gospel to the Gentiles. That's his threefold mission here for Jerusalem, Rome, and Spain. This is our background. This is our setting, okay? This is our context. And we're doing this remembering that Romans is all about the gospel. And the gospel, what does the gospel do? It changes things. Amen. So number three here, what Paul's dealing with, what's Paul dealing with actually in the church? What's Paul dealing with in the church? Well, um, we don't know a a whole lot about Rome before Paul gets there, unfortunately, as far as the churches go. It's believed that the gospel was there sometime around the 40s is is the kind of the general belief, but we don't know a whole lot about um, the religiosity there, the Christianity of Rome prior to, to Paul really showing up there. And so remember, he's laid out this foundational document with his core theology so that the people can get to know him. It's very personal. He wants it to be very personal in relationship. But also we know through the course of Romans that somehow, some way, news of church problems has gotten back to Paul because Paul writes about them. And like gossip travels fast, right? We don't know how it got to Paul. We don't know how it got to him, but we know that it got to him because he writes about what's going on in the churches. And there's, there's, some, there's some crazy stuff happening in the churches. Um, Paul's going to talk about, do Jewish lives matter? He's going to talk about, do Gentile lives matter? Paul's going to talk about uh, waving flags that were stolen from Noah's rainbow. Paul's not pulling any punches that's going on inside of the church. But the main issue, the main issue that Paul's dealing with inside of the church at Rome is this tension, this conflict between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And the Gentiles are in the majority here. And Really, really quick short story on that. What's going on there? What's the deal with the fight? Well, um, under Emperor Claudius in around AD 49 and 50, the Roman historian Suetonius tells us this. It'll be on the screen. Um, At the instigation of Christus, he expelled them from Rome. And so he tells us right there what's going on. Christus is believed to have been Christ. And what we know historically is that the Jews, they were, the Jews and the Gentiles, they were fighting over Christ. And so the Roman government, they stepped in and expelled the Jews and told them to leave. Then several years later, they were allowed to come back except everything had changed within the church. Imagine, imagine with me, right? The, the Jewish Christians are coming back into town and all of a sudden now there are Gentile leaders that are leading the church. And so the, what was going on? They were confused. They were confused about what was happening, right? The, the Gentiles are there and the, the Jewish Christians and the Jews come back and the Gentiles are having church in a house, not the synagogue. The, Gentile, the Gentiles are preaching from the center of the room, and the Jews are looking in going, what, what's going on with this? What, what's the deal here? And, and one scholar actually said, talked about it in this way. He said, imagine a, a house church in an impoverished part of Rome in an apartment reading the word of God out loud, led by a guy named Rufus, handing out BLTs. I added the BLT part, but I thought it was funny, so... And so all of a sudden, the the Jews return, and there's different leadership, there's different structure, there's different style of worship. 
and, and it's fracturing the church. A lot, of, a lot of the scholars believe this is what the, split the churches up in Rome. It's not a letter to a church in Rome. It's a, to the churches in Rome. And it's believed that they were separated based on their doctrine. And so there's some real issues that the Apostle Paul has to, has to deal with in this letter. This is a letter about theology. It's a letter about covenant and law and rights and salvation. And so there is broad, broad division here. And so there was a need for Paul, that's our word today, for Paul to write this community building, this unity building letter church. He had to write this. He had to step in. And so this leads us to number four. What's Paul's purpose in writing? Paul's purpose is that he needed to lay out the gospel. He needed to lay out the gospel for the churches in Rome. And, and the Apostle Paul, man, he serves as such a perfect candidate to be an agent of reconciliation between these churches. Almost like in our Jonah series, when Jonah, remember Jonah? Jonah was swallowed by this fish, and then, and then Jonah was sent to the people who worshiped the fish god. What a great agent to be sent. The Apostle Paul, similarly here, he has, he has a foot in both camps, right? The Apostle Paul, he's a, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees, right? To the letter of the law, it's Paul. But then Jesus came and knocked him off his proverbial high horse and, and sent him as a, as a missionary to the Gentiles to evangelize the Gentiles. And so Paul is uniquely positioned to speak this word to both groups, to be peacemaker Paul. And therefore Paul comes at everything in Romans through the lens of the gospel. Paul comes and answers these questions, everything through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus. Paul comes through and answers these questions here in the book of Romans using the whole of Scripture through the gospel. And he, and he, and he has this thesis statement in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Just listen to these words, church. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is the thesis of the whole book, and I'm not going to exposit it. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Man, Paul, he has a lot to lose in writing this letter, but he has a confidence in the gospel. He has a confidence that, look, the Roman government, even though it's powerful, it's not going to undermine him. Paul's got a confidence, even though he could lose a lot of funds and resource and money in writing this, it's not going to undermine him through the gospel. Paul is, Paul is writing these words. What's so crazy to me is that he literally spends chapter after chapter after chapter writing about the gospel to Christ, to believers, and then, and that tells you, and that tells me that the gospel for us, it's not just, it's not just something that you get a, a, a ticket into the kingdom with and then tuck into a drawer. No, no, no. The gospel, <laughs> it's like a toothbrush. It's something that you have to go back to again and again and again. It's a necessity. You have to go back to it. Connor, I'm going to give you some toothbrush of the gospel 
It's something that was Christians. He's writing to Christians. It's something that you and I, we have to go back to again and again and again. And Paul's writing as a missionary and a church planner about the power of the gospel. Because Paul, he's been on the front lines. He's been preaching this thing for 20 years, man. He's been planning churches. He's put in the work. Not only does Paul want you, church, to understand the gospel, but he wants you to experience the gospel because if there's anybody in the Bible who knows the gospel can change them, it's Paul. Paul knows, hey, this is all about the gospel and the gospel changes things. This is Paul. And it's this gospel that frames up his whole letter from chapter one to chapter 15 and 16. That's where eight of the 11 uses of the word gospel show up. And so he explains the gospel and he describes how the gospel should shape how we live because of who we live for. Church, Romans is at its heart, it's a letter about the gospel. And it's been written by a guy who's been impacted by the gospel. But let me say this it's not just tied down to Rome. It's not just tied down to Rome, but it's a letter for you. It's a letter for me. There are many, many applications for us in our day from the book of Romans. It's not just to the church at Rome. And so you could spend years studying the book of Romans. And when we finish this book in July of 2028... (laughs) Even when we finish Romans, as many scholars have said, Romans really won't ever be finished with us. You can read this book over and over again, but Romans won't ever really be be done with you. And at the heart of the letter of Romans, it's all about the gospel. And the gospel always, always changes things. And it's packed with theological depth, man. The last thing on this, it's got some theology in it. It's got some doctrine in it. But I want you to know, hear me on this. Romans, it's written to regular Joes. Paul wasn't writing to trained scholars. He was writing to regular Joes and Bernsteins or Claudius and Cohens, you know, to regular people. And, 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 and I love this because Paul knew that just with ordinary people, if the gospel gets in, it can do extraordinary things. So I just ask you this morning, church, what, what might you let the gospel do with you through the book of Romans?